Hello, thanks for listening. We are a listener-supported podcast and would love to have your support. Please take a moment to visit solas-cpc.org and click on the donate button. Thanks so much and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Well, hello and uh, welcome to Pep Talk, the persuasive evangelism podcast. I'm Andy Bannister, the director of the Solas Centre for Public Christianity based in Scotland. And as ever, I'm joined by my wonderful and energetic co-host, Christy Mayer, all the way from the other end of the country from London. Christy, how are you doing down there today? One introduction. I am so well, Andy. Do you want to know why? Why are you so well, mate? Because our next guest, while we aren't talking about this, his PhD uh, work and focus is also on the same PhD kind of work and focus that I'm focusing on. Isn't that cool? That is very cool. And just listeners, to be reassured, I have warned Christy, if she starts talking about her PhD with our guest, who I'll introduce in a moment, <laughs> I'm cutting her off. So <laughs> on to our guest. I'm, I'm hugely excited, actually. I'm always hugely excited. Um, but I'm very excited that we, we've got joining us all the way from British Columbia uh, in uh, in Canada, Andy Steiger. Andy, Woo! welcome to Pep Talk. Uh, great to be with you. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, it's especially a, a pleasure, Andy, because you and I go quite a way back. I forget when we first met. I think it was 2010 was when we uh, we first met in Vancouver, I, I seem to recall. Oh, I remember because my wife uh, was with us. If you remember, we were in Granville Island in Vancouver. And my wife said, that you and I could never hang out again because we wouldn't stop talking. So this podcast could be a problem. <laughs> it could be a long podcast. Well, Andy is the uh, director of Apologetics uh, Canada, and you can find them on online, uh, apologeticscanada.com. And um, yeah, Andy and, I, you got to, you, Andy and I got to know each other when I was with uh, RZIM, in, or RZIM for American listeners in Canada uh, for six years, and it was a d- delight watching the, the ministry uh, that you built and the work you did, Andy. Uh, but you've done so many things, but one of the things that brings you to the show today is you have uh, finished a book, right? You've got a book coming out pretty soon. Uh, what's the title? And in a, in, a, in a very brief nutshell, what's it all about? Yeah, I have a book coming out in September with Zondervan called Reclaimed, How Jesus Restores Our Humanity in a Dehumanized World. So this is a project that I've been working on for a number of years. It started with a film project I did called The Human Project uh, and deals with uh, four major questions uh, that are essential to our humanity. What is human? What's the value of human life? What leads to human flourishing? And how should humans live? So the way that the book is structured, there's eight chapters. So each question gets two chapters. So one chapter will address the question such as what is human from the perspective of our, our secular culture that has removed God. So where does that lead us? And then the next chapter would say, okay, what happens when we put God back into the, the equation, if you will? And ultimately, the book is just talking about how Jesus humanizes and how important our belief in God is, how important our relationship with Jesus is. I'm so looking forward to this book, Andy. I um, um, The thing that kind of stood out to me as you were reading out the title and some of the, the chapter headings is how do you think the world actually dehumanizes us? So like before we get on to how Jesus humanizes us, you, you mentioned the secular culture uh, without God leaves us in pretty dark places. What are those places? Uh, how does it, how does the world dehumanize us? Well, in the book, one of the things that I, I, I do is I use a lot of stories 
of just modern day examples. So the book begins with modern day uh, examples of dehumanization, but then it also has uh, in the chapters historical examples. So it's one of those things that we see has been a part of our history for a long time. Humans uh, are really good at not seeing each other's humanity. And the, the challenges, both historically and presently, is that when we don't see each other correctly, we won't treat each other correctly. And so this was something that was really profound for me in my research, was to see how important it is and, uh, that, uh, that we see one another uh, correctly. And, and particularly when you look at our humanity from the Christian perspective, it, this is one of the things I love about being a Christian, is something I say quite a bit, <laughs> that I love my faith because it, it instructs me in ways that, that I don't find anywhere else, particularly in this subject how to actually see a human being. Yeah. I, you know, what I find um, interesting as you answered that, Andy, and as I, as I read the book, and as, and as you and I have actually talked to her on this one before, it's long intrigued me that if, in a sense, if you throw God out, you don't just lose God, right? You lose human beings in the process or as a, as a side effect of that to some degree, right? That, yes. Uh, and that's ultimately what I, what I argue on each of those questions is that when you, when you lose sight of God, you will lose sight of your own humanity. You'll lose sight of others' humanity. So I think it's really interesting that, you know, when Jesus is asked the big questions, and, and he's asked repeatedly a Jewish way of asking, you know, what's the meaning of life? And when you're reading the Gospels, you see this over and over again. You know, they'll, they'll say, you know, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? What's the most important thing uh, that, to know? Uh, and, and Jesus answers repeatedly the same way, you know, love God, love people. He answers with the Shema from Deuteronomy chapter six, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. So it's interesting to me, you know, that it's constantly pushing back to this idea, make sure that you love God or see God correctly. Uh, and then how that informs the way we view ourselves. You, you also see this, by the way, with the 10 commandments, the first four are all about your view of God. And I used to think, you know, that, that was kind of weird. I'm like, does God have like an identity crisis going on or what? Like, why is it so important that I see God correctly? And, but the more you begin to think about that, you realize, well, if I'm made in God's image, then the greater my view of God, the, the greater my view of, of humanity or myself. So it's absolutely essential that we see God correctly if we're going to see ourselves correctly as image bearers. Hmm. That's so profound. I mean, how do you, how do you connect those two points together Andy um in that how do we see God correctly so that we can see ourselves correctly what is is there a process or a way of doing that that you that you encourage readers well that's a that's such a an important question with regards to how how do we see God correctly and one of the things that I think is so interesting it particularly as you read the New Testament is Paul keeps pointing to Jesus you know and you, you see this in Colossians one uh, fifteen, where Paul says the, the son is the image of the invisible God. So in other words, if you want to see what God looks like, you know, look at Jesus. And you see this with the book of Hebrews as well, as the author of Hebrews begins the book by saying that Jesus is uh, an exact copy uh, uh, of, of God. Like, you know, he's, he's a photocopy. If you want to see what, what God looks like, you know, look, look to Jesus and so I think that this is an important aspect of, of our faith is to constantly, you know, have that in mind that if I, I want to get a clear view of what God's like, I, I need to look to Jesus. And, you know, in uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 is one of my favorite verses 
uh, Christy, that I think really uh, hits this point and has been something that I have really thought a lot about as a Christian mm-hmm. is Paul says this. He says, he, speaking of Jesus, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. The Greek word here is from the root word telos or, or purpose. Paul's saying, listen, in, in Jesus, we can fulfill the purpose that we were created for. So his desire is that people would come to fulfill the purpose that they were created for, that they could experience what it is to be fully human, if you will. And again, what Jesus continually references with regards to what does that mean is relationship. You've been created to be in relationship with God and relationship with one another. That's what it means to be perfect in Christ or or to fulfill the purpose relationship. Hmm. Do you know what I think is um is really helpful in in all of this, Andy, is that I know sometimes I think Christians struggle a little bit in evangelism because we leap straight in with our very secular friends to trying to talk about God and there's such a gap it could be a hard at first but if we come up the what does it mean to be human question and ask our friends questions like you know what do you think the purpose of life is what do you think the meaning of it all is uh, what do you think a human being is those questions I find will often lead often lead you quite naturally to the God question whereby it's then much easier to say well as a Christian you know I believe in God and this informs these other things sometimes I wonder if we approach these things the wrong way around if the what to what does it mean to be human question is actually a really powerful evangelistic key what what do you think I absolutely agree with you and in fact I would encourage listeners to read the book of Colossians because ultimately Paul gives uh, a presentation of the gospel through our humanity and and I I think particularly in our culture today, this is a profound way to share the gospel. And I think it works in two ways, Andy. One, I, I think it the evangelism needs to flow from our own identity. So me understanding who I am and, and what I have been created for. And so then if, if I understand the how profound my relationship with God and my relationship with other people is, to my humanity, it starts to inform what I uh, invest my time into, for example. And th- it's because it's always interesting, right? When people have money and they're thinking about, okay, how do I make more money or how do I make a good investment with my money, the time that we've been given, and what's the best investment of, of our time, the most valuable resource, most valuable thing we have. Jesus is saying, well, relationship, investing your time into God, investing your time into people. And that means then that people are not projects. We, we, don't, we don't love God and love people for the purpose, you know, of who can I, who can I share the gospel to because, you know, they're, they're my next project to, to make into a Christian or whatever. But you start to realize, no, this is who I am as a human being is to love God and to love people. And the gospel naturally follows from all that. Just one of the things that I found really striking about um, what you're saying is this this call to kind of like humanization um, in Jesus. And I'm just wondering, what does a, what does it look like for a human being to be restored in Jesus? And so how do we offer something that's really unique to our friends and family through our humanity and the way in which we live and the way in which we are? How does, how does he restore us and change us? And so what is the distinctive that others are seeing in us? 
Well, to go back to Colossians, in chapter 3, verse 10, we see Paul saying, um, well, yeah, actually starting verse 9, he says, Don't lie to each other, since you've, been, since you've taken off the old self with its practices and put on the new self. And he says, which is being renewed in the knowledge, you know, in the image of its creator. And so what we see then is it, when, we, when we realize the significance of our relationship with God, we begin to uh, look, and we're looking to Jesus to, you know, what does God look like? Uh, what, we, what we begin to see then is the life of Christ and how we are to emulate the life of Christ and, and how his response is to be our response. And, and what do we see is Jesus' response? Well, he, he always sees people's humanity. And one of the things that you find is that humanization leads to compassion. So when we, you can see it, so, so from the reverse, when we don't see each other correctly, right, it leads to dehumanization in which we will mistreat each other in horrendous ways, as we've seen historically. Yet the opposite is also true that when we see one another correctly, it leads to compassion and we will seek to, you know, care and love for one another. And, and just as a quick example, I won't go too deep into it, but again, listeners, I'd encourage you to look at the parable of the Good Samaritan. Because when you look at how it all gets set up, Jesus, again, is being asked, you know, that important question, you know, what's the meaning of life kind of question. And he and he answers again, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But then somebody comes into that conversation wanting to justify themselves, we're told, and asks, who's my neighbor? And he's, he's not asking in the sense of, you know, who's my neighbor? I want to incorporate as many people as I can. He's asking in the sense of, I want to exclude who I can. And so then you have Jesus giving him in a story in which the often dehumanized person in their time, which is the Samaritans, who are referred to as, as half-breeds, uh, he becomes, the Samaritan becomes the hero of the story because, this, you know, the Samaritan sees the humanity of this Jew and it leads to compassion. And Jesus is ultimately saying to them, you know, go and do, go and do likewise. Uh, you know, we see this in storytelling, by the way, don't we? Where the villain is always dehumanized, which will lead to their destruction. And the hero is always humanized, right? Which leads to them being praised. And Jesus just does the opposite of who you think would be the villain. The Samaritan becomes the hero of the story. And really, the question then becomes for us, and particularly in our own evangelism, is if Jesus was to tell us the story of the Good Samaritan, who would, who would he make the hero of the story? You know, who are those people in our lives that we try to exclude and Jesus is trying to move us to have compassion for? That's, uh, that's really powerful stuff, Andy. As we move into our last um, few minutes, you know, one thing that strikes me as we have this conversation is obviously you and I and uh, and Christy have uh, you know thought about these things with sort of we've we've messed around with the academic stuff as well as other bits and pieces but what I'm also one of the things I've always uh, found compelling about you you have this ability to engage the world of ideas but also to bring it down to the very practical so for somebody who's sitting there thinking I wouldn't even know who Michael Polanyi was and you know i'm not even sure what a phd is and so on and so forth which is the vast majority of us how do we begin you know using some of these themes in our everyday evangelism how are some of the ways that you've sort of taken this and as it were you know made the robber hit the road 
and use this in in conversations with uh with normal people yeah thanks for that question it's such it's such an important question here's a couple of the ways that it's impacting me and that i would encourage people first is if if i really grasp hold of this idea that i was that i am made for relationship with god and people i think we all have to ask ourselves the question do i live as though that's true is is my relationship with god and my relationship with people? Is that a priority in my life? And this is one of the reasons why I would argue that church is so important. That there are so many people who don't understand what church is. And when they don't understand what church is, they'll ask silly questions like, you know, does a Christian need to go to church and those sorts of things. Uh, but if you begin to appreciate the fact that you were created for community and that relationship is essential to who you are as a child of God, then you begin to realize that I need church and church needs me. You know, there are people at church that that need, you know, relationship with with me and I need relationship with them and that this is a key aspect of what it means to be a human being. It starts to change the way that you live. So now community becomes a priority in your life. And if I were just to say as well where um I have seen some of the most opportunity for the gospel and most fruit in the gospel uh, is in my community group. Again, my wife, for my wife and I leading a community group is absolutely essential to us because again, I think that being in community is, is what we've been called to and it's, and it's what we are and what we need. And so in our community group, which we've led for many, many years, I could tell you story after story of people that we've invited into our home We've invited them into community, right, into relationship, and have come to know and love Jesus. And, and I think in our culture today, which is a lonely culture, I don't know if you guys saw this, but last year the UK appointed a minister of loneliness. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, there is such a need for community. I think it is the greatest evangelism tool today to invite people into the gospel is invite them into relationship, not just with not just with God, right? It's God and people. And it's just such an easy thing to do as well, isn't it, Andy? And it's often overlooked, um, feeling like we have to be able to have all the right answers at the right time. When actually, one of the things that I've loved about Schaefer's work is when he talks about love, relationship being the ultimate apologetic. And I've really appreciated how you've um, just spoken to us about community. It's such a great place uh, to leave it. I feel like we could chat for hours Uh, Not least about this, but um, also about your your PhD topic. Again, we won't talk about that. Thank you so, so much um, for your time, Andy. We've absolutely loved talking with you. Thanks for having me on the show. Thank you again, Andy Bannister. And thank you for listening. We look forward to being back with you in in a couple of weeks' time. Take care. Bye.